0: taking in the news this week from around the world taking in the conversations we've been hearing uh, from our politicians many of our politicians and leaders talking about creating a registry this is donald trump uh, talking about creating a registry for Muslims to sign in on around the country and some sort of Muslim ID and talking about Syrian refugees as terrorists. I wanted to stand up here this morning with a, with a badge, a Muslim ID badge on my arm in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are Muslim. And you know what that badge would look? Like. I don't know what. I, it, it's just horrific to go down that road of even thinking about that. But I imagine the badge I would wear would be a peace sign. And the reason it would be a peace sign, those of you who know anything about Islam, is when Islam, when Muslim people greet one another and other people, they often will say "Assalam alaikum." Assalam alaikum. You know, peace, shalom, salaam, assalam aleikum. Peace be upon you. Peace be with you. You can say that with me, Assalam aleikum. Assalam aleikum. It means peace be upon you. It is one of the core teachings and tenets of Islam, this notion of peace, of submitting to Allah's will and not doing violence against others. Terrorists, no more represent Islam than the Ku Klux Klan represents Christianity. And and I share this with you this morning in the context of this sermon series about crossing borders as we have dug into this idea of what it means to cross borders, borders inside of us, physical borders, what has become oh so clear to me is this. The only way for us to survive, given the challenges we face locally and as a world community, the only way for us to survive is to become border crossers. And what I mean by that is to take the first step, to take risks, to move across borders we don't normally move across, to stand with others, to be guided by our deepest hopes and values in that process, to see, to practice seeing the light of the divine in others, and to listen to where love is moving in our own hearts as we cross that border. What's true is that border crossing of any kind requires some degree of faith as we will encounter uncertainty and risks and fear and the strangeness of the new place we've entered. But that uncertainty, that vulnerability that we heard about in our call to worship, that discomfort we experience when we cross a border, that is the human experience of what it means to cross a border. It's part of being human. And if we turn away from this, and put in place borders we will never cross, lines in the sand that we will never erase. We turn away from our humanity. We turn away from the new relationships that will save us. And we retreat to a bunker as the world burns. And that's the message. In the media, that's the message we get right now. When fear strikes in whatever form it is, hunker down, bunker down, don't trust. Just go to your safe place. I saw a video from Paris this week. And in this video, there's a Muslim man who has blindfolded himself and he's standing in a plaza in Paris with a sign around his neck that says, I'm a Muslim. And I'm told I'm a terrorist. I trust you. Do you trust me? If yes, hug me. In the video, person after person gives this man a hug. And then there's footage of others who followed his lead, put on blindfolds and signs that said, I'm a Muslim, but not a terrorist. I was moved watching this video. It was a moment of profound vulnerability and risk. Imagine the context in Paris. Imagine a blindfold over your face, your hands at your side, or maybe outstretched just a little bit, waiting, hoping for positive contact with another human. It was absolutely a moment of moving into the borderlands. I have to imagine those men wondered if they would be punched in the gut, or worse, or injured in some way, a finger grabbed and snapped, broken. But something beautiful unfolded. Something beautiful unfolded as these borders collapsed between individuals and a we was created. It doesn't always happen like that. I wish that the borders had softened this past Wednesday night at the fourth precinct on Plymouth Avenue in North Minneapolis. I was there with Jen and Elaine and Ruth and other clergy and some of you as a part of this ongoing peaceful witness that is part vigil, part memorial service, part cry for justice, part anger at the death of unarmed Jamar Clark. And it's true, at these large gatherings of people, there are always some who are there. They are not the organizers. There are some people who are there who want to stir things up. But by and large, the organizers and those there, the faithful leaders and others, it is a peaceful gathering. So we were there as the police force in riot gear, armed with batons and Face masks and weapons began to grow and take positions on the roof of the precinct building. And as the numbers of police officers swelled, so too did the tension and anxiety in what had been a peaceful gathering. I really wonder what would have happened in in that moment if those police officers, sensing the border that was being built up, if they would have just turned around and walked back into the precinct and left just a few plain officers at the front, I wonder what would have happened. My, my gut feeling is that the confrontational vibe in that space would have just been sucked right out. It would have dissipated. But the police presence grew, and by the time we left, before the crowd was pepper sprayed, before batons and marking bullets were used, Everyone was on high alert, was jittery, was anxious, was on guard. And maybe you've seen the pictures of what happened later that night, pictures of Jeremiah Ellison, Keith Ellison's son, his hands up in the air, a weapon pointed at his chest. Maybe you've heard that city council members also had weapons pointed at them. Thankfully, it's de-escalated since that time but the fierce enforcement of borders. Borders of the heart. Borders of who is human and who is not. Borders around what a Muslim is and is not. Borders between the life and reality of North Minneapolis and the life and reality of South Minneapolis. Borders between white people and people of color. The enforcement of those borders can lead to the low road, as Marge Piercy says. On the low road, what can they do to you? Whatever they want. You can't stop them. They roll right over you. But two people can keep each other sane, can share a hug, can cut through a mob. A few more people, and you have a circle, a collective. You have solidarity. You have a community. Add a few more, and you have real power. You have relationships that can help build a just world. That's what's at stake right now in our city and in our world, the ability to cross those borders and build relationships. It starts, says Marge Piercy, when you say we, and you know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. I was at the fourth precinct again on Thursday night with other people of faith and elected leaders And the police were a much calmer presence. And I have to confess that going to the fourth precinct and being there is in itself a kind of border crossing for me. It moves me out of my comfort zone. I'm getting more used to it. But unlike Sunday morning, when I stand up here and preach or a memorial service or any of the work I do here, where my role is very clear, I know what my job is. I know how to step into a space and be in that space. My role is a lot more ambiguous when I'm at the fourth precinct. But it's a border I feel compelled to cross. My own life, this is me feeling this, my own life is diminished if I do not stand with those who are calling for justice, those in this community I live in, if I'm not hearing their cries and widening my circle of connections and lifting my own voice. And in that space, I listen. I listen to and I trust the experiences of the people of color who are there. Just this week, talking with my colleague, Makram El-Amin, who's the Imam of a mosque on North Lindale, we were talking about The Way, an organization I had not heard much about. As we were talking, I learned that The Way was an organization started after the rebellion or the riots of 1966, similar to riots that happened in major cities across the United States as African-Americans pushed back against police brutality and racial discrimination and lack of opportunity. As someone who wrote about this organization, The Way says, after these riots and this rebellion in North Minneapolis, black empowerment advocates and the city's first Jewish mayor, they came up with an empowering solution Working with Northside members, targeting black youth, and then soliciting funds from white philanthropists, they created The Way, a community organization aimed at fixing the unequal balance of power in Minneapolis. The Way enabled, as one writer put it, for people, Northside residents, to become participants in their own economic and political and social struggles for progress and equality. It was part of black empowerment is what it was. The way existed in one form or another until the early 1980s. And this is the part I didn't know. Right now, in the exact location where the way once stood, is the 4th Precinct Police Station. So for Northside residents who know that history, who had that taste of empowerment, of a community working with its own resources, supported by white allies, the fact that a police station now rests there, and given the history of relations between the police and the community, it feels like a stick in the eye. If I don't know that history, If I don't know the history of the past decades on the north side and other parts of our city as it relates to police and community interactions, as it relates to lack of opportunity, as it relates to unfilled promises by city leaders, then I have a really hard time making sense of what's happening right now. I have a hard time, if I don't know that history, understanding how the calls from authorities to to be patient and to trust the system and to let things just work themselves out, if I don't know the history and how those words sound to those on the north side and people of color and that they have been words they've heard for decades, then I don't see the full picture. They're tired of waiting. They're tired of waiting. And that's why they're crying out, release the tapes. It's why they met Governor Dayton, to his credit, met with and the leaders, the organizers of Black Lives Matter and others, to their credit, got Dayton to sit down with them. He also says now, release the tapes, and wants to have a special session to allocate resources to help the North side. But if we don't have that deeper (laughs) understanding, It's a tremendous testament to nonviolent protest. It's a tremendous testament to nonviolent protest. And if we don't have that understanding of the context and the history and the dynamics, we don't see all that's happening. The same thing is true as we look at this Syrian refugee crisis unfolding. As these refugees stream out of Syria, fleeing from the violence of ISIS, the same violence that is striking in Paris and Beirut and in Nigeria and elsewhere, we are watching in real time as borders are being built up in the hearts and minds of people in this country. ISIS is spinning a narrative that says the West and that Russia hate Islam, and with the United States making it nearly impossible for Syrian refugees to enter, and with the talk, even if it's just political show that trump is putting on about creating an islamic register we are playing right into the story we are fulfilling the dreams that isis has that moderate muslims will say yeah you're right the west is anti-islam you're right and they will join with isis it's a moment when we could unite with Muslims around our country, our city, the world, but we can't do that without crossing borders, without knowing and engaging and talking to our Muslim neighbors, without feeling the blessing of as Aleikum, Alaikum, may peace be upon you. Border crossing is critical if we are going to survive as a human family. When we cross a border, when we begin to know in our bones who we mean when we say we, and each time we say it, we mean one more, then our world changes. I'm thinking about the nonviolent activists, the citizens, the politicians, the community members at the fourth precinct who long to have North Minneapolis be included in the we of Minneapolis. I think about the little border crossings that happen when you wear a Black Lives Matter button or a shirt, and many of our sixth graders wore just this past week as part of their sixth grade curriculum a Black Lives Matter button, and the invitation was simply to pay attention. How do you feel when you move into different spaces? How do people respond to you? Just notice that is a small but important border crossing. I think of the vulnerable and courageous Muslim in that video, blindfolded inviting his fellow Parisians to cross a border and to create a larger we. And I think about the Syrian refugees and how I want to invite them into my home, into this place. And I stand with our Muslim brothers and sisters who live in the United States who are Americans. In crossing borders, we discover that our power is in the we. Alone, they can break our fingers, take away our lovers, harm our children. Standing together, arm in arm, thousands strong, that is a different thing altogether. I want to share one final story, a little bit of a lighter story. few years ago when we were just beginning to collect gifts for the house that love built this was that all church project where we invited you all to be in a different relationship with Christmas to really live into that story to imagine Mary and Joseph as trying to find a home and I think there's an incredible parallels between Mary and Joseph trying to find a place to rest and these refugees we see in our world right now. We invited you to look at the holidays in a new way and to cut back, cut in half your holiday spending around Christmas time and then together, we said, let's pool our resources and build a home for a family, which we did with Habitat for Humanity. So two years ago, as this was launching, we had a picture of the home we were gonna build and our two-year-old, sorry, our son, who was four at the time, maybe five, was looking, uh, five-year-old son was looking at this picture of the home, and maybe in awe, maybe just like, whoa, that's amazing, we're gonna do this thing. I I don't know what he was thinking, but a church member came up to him and said, you're not big enough to pound nails yet, but when the time comes, we need your help digging holes to plant bushes and flowers at that home. We need you, we need you. And the we that made this project happen wasn't just adults. It was children like our son. It was other children. It was youth. And that church member in that moment crossed a small border so that we included our son in this whole faith community. He was called, our son was called into a deeper circle of belonging, into deeper relationship. Two years ago, we did come together, all of us, children, families, adults. We went, we went crazy. Do you remember what we did? I mean, we we were selling like homemade stuff down in the social hall. Our kids were doing things. We were—it was amazing. Our our son was—he was stealing quarters from our counter to bring those in to give to the house the love bill because he wanted to be a part of this. So it was remarkable, and we had committed sixty thousand dollars to Habitat to Humanity before we'd even raised a penny, Habitat for Humanity. This commitment was a kind of border crossing, a risk, although a much more comfortable risk than some of the other ones I've laid out this morning. But we crossed that border. We raised nearly double our goal. And now we're approaching that same border again as we move toward the holidays. We've selected Beacon Interfaith Housing Collaborative as our gift recipient, our giving recipient. We've committed to raise $70,000 for them to help create home for families and youth and formerly incarcerated men. And when we step across that border, that border that lives between us and those people, homeless people we see, folks we don't think we have a relationship with, When the border between us and those people, be they homeless youth or formerly incarcerated men, when that border disappears, we see that they are our neighbors. They are us. We are them. We are we. To fulfill our commitment to Beacon, to work for racial justice, to stand with our Muslim brothers and sisters, to create a world we dream of, We need border crossers and risk takers, each bringing what we can and in our own ways, but stepping out of our comfort zones to expand the circle of relationships. We need you, we need you, we need you. And we are needed by others. It goes one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they say no. It starts when you say we and know who you mean. And each day you mean one more. May it be so. And amen.